Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is the pod you've always wanted to hear. We are two guys that sometimes drink beer. And we say things that your mom told you to fear. It's the bad, 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 bad Today's episode is brought to you by Marriage Supply. Marriage Supply is the number one spot for adult toys and products for, let's just say marriage. It's in the name. So if you're looking to spice your life up a little bit, stop by marriagesupply.com and get a little freakity, freakity, freakity with your loved one. Okay. Well, Toby, welcome to the show. Yeah. um, I'm... uh, Trying to do some home improvements. Uh, I get, you get honeydew lists from your wife. Uh, so I, I had to do my, I had to fix the table. It was all wobbly. Fix that. We got a leak and I can't find where, it, I don't know what to do about it. So uh, in our, da- in, in the living room area, the window one day just started pouring water out of it when it was raining. It was a real bad rainstorm, right? And I was like, oh gosh, we, I thought I found it. I took some caulk and thought I'd figured it out. Water came back. And so I went upstairs into the attic, opened up a window and water poured out of the actual window. When I opened, it's like, it opens up side to the side. Like it's one of those twisty, you, you know, you turn it. Uh, I, I can't, I can't even tell you. I, I know so little, but what, what's the twisty thing? You know what I'm talking about? Like a, like a wind, like a, in cars, how you used to have to roll up the window, whatever that thing is called. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Put like the one window. of those. I don't know what you call those things. I don't know. It's like a hand, the window handle or something. I don't know. But anyway, so water's pouring out, so I don't know what to do. So that's the problem with home ownership. I've rented for like four or five years, and now we own a home, and I am, got very used to going, hey, there's a problem. Come fix it. That was mm-hmm. so nice. Really? I mean, it was the most I wonderful. I hate dealing with the landlord. I'm in renter the- right now thinking I'm in, uh, you know, compared to home ownership, there's a paradise about <laughs> renting that I'm experiencing. Um, but let me tell you what's the best thing about my rental is I got word that when we get having to move out of here, which is going to be in a year, um, it's been confirmed now because I had surveyors out here. I figured they would tear this house down and build a new one. And I've got confirmation of that true. So that means... Whew, I don't have to worry so much about all the stuff I've torn up in here. <laughs> <laughs> it's a huge relief for me. So, 
I didn't think about that. They're tearing it down. So you yeah, don't have, What a relief, yeah. you know? You don't like, have to try and fix stuff. Yeah, this is like it. some yeah. hotel room I'm going to get to get out of here. So I won't, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not, I had to now stop myself from trashing it on purpose. Right. <laughs> like, I, you want to kick this wall in? They're about to tear right. it down. You immediately Which got a can of spray paint wanted to spray on the wall. Yeah, can I at least break the windows when I go? Is all I want. <laughs> can I start the demo process, please? It, you know, that is really funny. That is so crazy. So you have one year to get out of your house, though. It yeah. is one year. And then, and then what? Like, uh, you just, know. you don't know what you're going to do, right? Yeah, I mean, I like, that's what, that uh, is, yeah. that's the downside of renting. Mm-hmm. Because if they said, yeah, we're not going to sell ever. You can live here as long as you want. You'd feel better, right? Because they make you feel like you had more time or something like that. Or do you think you'd want to be out of your house in a year anyway? I, I really feel relatively paralyzed about the housing situation overall. So I have cash and stuff, but I just can't right. find anything in the market that I like here. But I don't know what's going to happen in the future, blah, blah, blah. So I'm just expecting, like always in my life, just to uh, procrastinate to the last minute and then pull off a miracle. I'm sure it will happen again. <laughs> well, it's always worked. It's never not worked. When is it not so worked? Far. Right. So I'm sure it will happen again. So there's a certain amount of time I won't have a place to live. And then I will have another place at some point, yeah. and it'll it'll. I'm assuming it'll be great because I think my life has turned out pretty great. I, I mean, I know that sounds silly to say. Others maybe struggle with gratitude, but I don't. Right. I don't. But I don't think of gratitude as that thing where, whenever I hear people say gratitude, you got to do more with gratitude. I go, right. it just sounds so serious. Like you have to un- say. Right. Your wife is your best friend, and your till children have taught you everything. And you're like you're giving a cat. When I think of gratitude, I think that's so, like a irritating expression. Yeah. However, I like my life. It's always I always felt it's been great. I feel like it's been great. So maybe I, I have gratitude. I just never really recognize it as such. But I like it the way of things have turned out for me. I'm happy with it. Other I, people I, are unhappy. I'm happy. Yeah. But I think people are unhappy because they do say things that are just bad like there's bad stuff that's happening in our lives i mean oh, yeah. when, you, when we say things work out it, it wasn't always the best or you know i mean just i i you and i one of the things about our friendship is we both were always ready to take a chance so and that means <laughs> we we failed brilliantly so many times in front of so many people <laughs> it's been video you can go find videos of us failing miserably and the dumbest decisions and making mistakes and all that stuff but we aren't scared to try to change something and so that's that that's one of the most frustrating things of my that I I sound like I feel like such a dad but when people are not happy with their lives the first answer is change it you can. They go, no, I can't because of this. this. No, you just can change yeah. the change the tiniest thing. Do do some kind of change, but you or, or that means you have zero autonomy and you aren't anything. You have no power over your life. Anything you don't have anything. You don't have any free will. No matter what, you, you are one hundred percent just a determinist. Like uh, like when we had Oliver Burke. It's all just happened to you, and just yeah. and just happened yeah. to you. You don't have, you don't get a say. So don't tell me anything about that because you yeah. have to change. If your life is bad change it i get it it's not that easy it's the hardest thing in the world to do i mean every my father when we moved to seattle to start emory said do not call me when you fail do (laughs) not call me that was the last thing he said when i left he didn't come wave goodbye or anything we're standing there and and matt's mom and dad are goodbye son we love you joel's parents of course were there devin's mom's crying i think seth's parents were there everybody i was standing over there going wow that's cool i mean i I, i'm and I love my life. That's that's a tough 
spot, but I was willing to go, I'll be a fool. And if I had to come back and tuck my tail between my legs and be living Greer, then I'll, that, then I'll figure it out there too. But I mean, that it, it's just, I don't understand why we just accept that this is how it's going to be. Yeah, well, you know, I have to work. I have to work in my job. I hate it, and I got kids, and money's tight. And I understand all of that, but there is a way to change it. I don't know it, and I'm not you, and whoever it is out there. And I, man, I sound like an, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the worst, right? This is the kind of person you don't want to hear. You know why you don't hear it? Because there's some truth to it. Yeah, I heard and I'm it a said dumbass. a good way. I heard it said, "What you resist, you're stuck with." Like whatever you, you know what I mean? Right. So yeah. Whatever, but um, wherever I live next, I'll be forced in some crazy situation, but I'm going to love it. Right. I, it'll change. It might force me into some, I might have to live in a, who knows what. Like, it's open to me. It'll probably turn out to look very boring and predictable, whatever it turns out to sure. be. But right. I'm open to it being wild, to being forced into a wild situation, and I will like that situation. Yeah. There's and, not and, one coming that I'm not going to be able to like. I, right. I'm, you know what I mean? But, but that's not, but it's because of the attitude you go, well, I'm just going to like it. Yeah. Right. right. I mean, you exactly. could you could have the attitude, I'm going to hate it. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, it's like my disposition is mine, but my circumstances, right. okay, well, I can't control all of that, but, you yeah. know, but I but, need to get a lot better job of planning, yeah. though. But I'm, I'm being kind of facetious because I need to make a plan, but I don't typically do. Yeah. But well, I'm speaking to, I'm speaking to people that that want to change. If you don't want to change, don't listen to me. If you if your life's bad and you can't get out of it, okay. I'm I'm with you. Go ahead, let it, it just keep it bad. That's the way it goes. But I just I I do get frustrated like uh well, people would say, "Well, Matt, you're privileged." So that's why you have well, we I don't <laughs> understand even with the privileged stuff, what what good is it to go, "Oh, I'm privileged." That is such a Weak, Weasley, worst thing to do. If you're privileged, then the thing you should do is help change things. Not talk about your privilege and how bad you are with it. No, not, a lot, yeah, a lot yeah. of people. I mean that 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 is such a. I think that is a is just disrespectful to everybody that doesn't have privilege. It, it, I definitely have privileges. I think most Americans have privileges, by the way. But Toby Morrell has a lot of privilege. So what I want to do is try to make a real change and. Use my privilege when I can and when I'm not lazy and when I can make myself or whatever to do better in the world. So, like, you know, there's lots of things that I believe in should be changed and I hope for and will, you know, work to do. But the idea that I'm just going to sit here and go, the same thing as uh, Christian guys going, I looked at porn again. Man, why can't I ever not look at porn? You spend days and weeks just thinking about yourself and how you looked at porn, and you look at porn again. I've I've said this a a bunch on the podcast over these years, but it'd be better to go, yes, I looked at porn. Now I'm going to go serve uh, in my community. Or do it like, instead of spending all that time just, oh, I'm such a bad person. I mean, some of the language used today is so religious and exactly like what I've been around my whole life is freaky. But I mean, it'd be better to, if you're going to do stuff, something bad, like look at porn and you aren't going to change, it would be better to, instead of spend the time being self-loathing and I'm such a bad person, I'm going to do better to actually just go do something good then. Then go use, you have all this time to feel bad about yourself, but you don't have time to actually use that time to help somebody or do something. I mean, I don't understand it. God, I sound old as shit and stupid. I get it, but I I do feel that way to an extent. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I hear you. Uh, also, I got Tiffany Bloom in the waiting room. So All you right. Want to tell people anything about her, old Tiffany, or you just want me to let her in? Well, Tiffany's got a new book called Pray Tale. Um, so yeah, we're going to be talking about that. She also has a podcast called Why Though. Um, so uh, 
and she has a lot of followers, a uh, big audience. So, um, yeah, let's just bring her on. Here Excited to have her on. All right, let's take a quick break here. You are listening to Termination from the Devil Wears Prada's new EP, Z2. This is the follow-up to 2010's Zombie EP. Uh, there's very limited vinyl uh, that is still available for this EP, both at the band's website and at Solid State Merch, solidstate.merchnow.com. Reviews have basically been all fantastic for this EP, and as you're hearing it, it is fantastic. So go uh, check this out, uh, especially if you love the original Zombie EP. Z2, available everywhere now, wherever you stream or buy music. Go check it out. Hey, Tiffany. Hey, Can Tiffany. you hear us? Hello, hello. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Great to see you. We're already rolling here podcasting today, so we'll just uh, keep on now that you're I, here. I was doing – I'm getting older, and I was doing old man ranting about people should change their lives if they don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not smart enough to tell them how to or, you know, influential enough for it to mean anything, but I just uh, – you know, it's funny. Some people get caught in – in uh, their lives, and then they don't change a lot. So, uh, and it's interesting, even like going into your book, Pray Tale, um, things are changing even in how uh, we are telling our stories now, like right. and how we were revealing truth. It, right. it used, used to not be that way. And so people were suppressed. And, but now, you know, I mean, I'm kind of excited that. People can tell their stories. We just had uh, Michael Cosper on. He's uh, doing a podcast about the fall of Mars Hill Church in Seattle. I just, I just, I'm, I'm a Seattle girl, so I just saw him post on Twitter today. I just saw that, yeah. Oh, nice. That's mm-hmm. awesome. So, I mean, that his podcast is going to be great. I, I was a worship leader at Mars Hill for a while. While Matt was as well. Oh and, my yeah. gosh! Yeah, Matt lives in Seattle as well. Oh hey, so, yeah. he's up in Magnolia over on that side. But um, and so, but it's funny. There are more and more opportunity to share stories and really that I was, I was telling him, I felt like this kind of like the Bible, like your book is, I'm not saying we're rewriting the Bible, but we're adding storytelling again. And we're, yeah. and that's what the whole Bible is. The whole Bible is a story, good and bad, ugly and pretty, you know, all the rough stuff in there, even about God, you got, I got to wrestle with this a little bit. What does this mean? And I'm just excited that we're coming to a point in the world maybe, but at least in America where people can start telling their stories, even within like the church system and stuff. Yeah. It's necessary. It's needed, especially for so many of us who felt so trapped in the mega machine and feel like we'll lose everything, our our families, our income, our reputation, if we dare speak up. And you were in the church system for a while, right? I mean, are you, are you still or? uh... Yeah, I, uh, so I was a pastor at a pretty large church down in the Tacoma area. And I was there for seven years in executive leadership and I discovered my senior leader was having an affair and I, I, I sat on it for about six months, just tortured. Like I had, I had night tears, you guys. I mean, it was so bad. Um, but I was his golden girl. And I had, I mean, nobody had given me more opportunity in my career than him. Um, and nobody had exploited my loyalty more. Did you, oh, loyalty. Gosh, I was just telling Toby about that. I've been gotten really frustrated lately that, there's something weird about the quality of loyalty, how we hold it really highly, but it's also, I mean, it's not the most virtuous virtue. I mean, it's, it's a very a corruptible. It, yeah. It's I don't think it's spirit. good. I don't think right. it's so yeah. good as everybody says it is. It really isn't. I like 100% the people that agree. hold it up as loyalty is a high thing. They mean you don't cross me. That's yeah, what they it's mean. It's this authoritarian yeah. leadership. 
And the more power they have, research shows, which we can get, all, get into all that, that they will abuse it and that they will, especially in, in spiritual settings, will couch it in the language of loyalty. Yeah. So wow. anyway, I worked there, uh, sat on it for six months. Did you ever be the only one that knew? I was the only oh, one. No. Oh, no. I was the only one that knew. And I, I, you know, I was one of few women in senior leadership, uh, this like 250 person staff. And, uh, wow. Yeah, it was a, it was quite the, quite the space. Um, and so I finally crack and I report, uh, to somebody who had more authority than I to, to take it to the, take it to the board. Long story short, board covers it up. Three years later, there was a girl, the whole legal investigation does happen. And uh, nine women come forward, but it apparently wasn't egregious enough to remove him from power. And I, I remember I was interviewed by these lawyers. They're grilling me. They're looking at stuff on my phone, taking pictures of my phone. And I said, if you just interview, let's call her Rosie. I said, if you just interview Rosie, she will crack under pressure. I know this girl won't lie. And I know that's who he's currently with. Three years later, I am on a flight to Redondo Beach for, Cal- for vacation, family vacation. And I turn my phone off airplane mode and I have 40 missed calls. The Seattle Times, Christianity Today, our local newspaper here. It had broke. She came forward. Three years later, he raped her 17 times. Oh, my God. And uh, and she ended up leaving and was in grad school and broke down to a professor. And so that professor was like, I'll walk this out with you. You don't have to walk this alone, but you got you to gotta report this. This guy is over a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it, uh, I, I, there was no, uh, it, it just kind of all fell apart in so many different people and so many different, you know, years that really were steamrolled by him. But the interesting thing is that when the board in front of news cameras and in front of the congregation said, we had no prior knowledge before this, that this man was any sort of perpetrator. And I'm like, well, where was the half a million dollar legal investigation three years ago? How do you cover that up? So anyway. And I don't think uh, it's really hard for people to look back at because people go, what well, you should have just told immediately. What's the big deal? But they don't understand. You're right. Like oh. you, this is somebody like that you're close to and that you do trust. And yeah. that, and, oh, yeah. and like we were talking with Michael, um, you, you think God's work is being do, done yes. and, he, and he's called. Yes. yes. He's called and God's speaking to him and he's the father of the house and all of those abusive things that can be used. You probably told yourself, everybody makes mistakes. Or, I mean, what, like that had to be a lot of pressure. And then once you came, came out and told, told what what happened with your relationship there was it were you done with the church or what oh what man I, so i resigned and left my dream job i was the breadwinner for my home i i, I was i had a newborn i mean it, it just was awful walking into <laughs> almost losing my house with a newborn just to leave that toxic environment um and uh i left and then reported so it was real real tight turnaround probably two weeks by the time my last day to reporting. So just a few things. Um, I can't legally say that I worked in a church or any names or any, anything like that. Um, can't say the city. I, this is all just, just the fine Whoa. print. Yeah. Gosh, I hate that stuff so much. I can't <laughs> I believe it. I'm oh so my gosh. sorry. I'm so sorry, but he is rather litigious and he's a monster quite frankly. And his oh, new man. church, his new church after he got thrown out, uh, is walking distance to my current residence. <laughs> Wow. Um, he lives crazy, around, yeah. Crazy. Yeah. He's got a mega church already again. He's back at it. 
Um, yeah, there's so many levels of NDAs and non-disclosures and things that I've encountered at this point in my life. I just can't believe they're there and people are doing that stuff. I just, it's so crazy that that happens. And it just seems like such a weird thing. How much truth is like, don't do it. Yes. No, don't. And it's, I mean, what's with all these boards? Have you ever noticed that all boards are for everything are all bad? That's what that's what it seems to be like. Like, what is the, with boards? They just get bad everywhere. Uh, also, I mean, why boardrooms of the company? They're just and so wrapped around the fingers. I I, I just want to let you know, just, just so you know, my conscience and my 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 track record. I have not signed an NDA. Oh, okay, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not even saying oh, you. No, 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 though. No, I'm just no, saying the, the prevalence. The of and them. I have a whole chapter on it for sure. Um, but uh, uh, it, because unfortunately, if he does do, so, he's suing my publisher, not me, and they're not happy with any of my sales going to pay for any legal fees. So, sure. <laughs> um, but I still am great about talking about the situation and how I felt in it and also unpacking why this happens and the mm. psychology and sociology behind it. Yeah. Well, let's get into the book then. Um, so the book is called Pray Tale, P-R-E-Y. And uh, I would like to tell you that I've read a lot of it, but uh, you sent it to us, and my wife immediately took it, and I can't find it. I've been looking for it for a couple of days, <laughs> and she's like three or four chapters in, so you have a new fan at least. She, oh, she's really yeah, enjoying the book. But let's just uh, let, let's just start there with the book. Uh, what what uh, maybe just give us a little bit of information about it? You know, just get us get a, uh, you know just tell us. A, I guess just tell us a little bit about what it's about. Yeah. So pray tell why we silence women who tell the truth and how everyone can speak up really digs deep and unearths the ramifications of what happens to women when they speak truth to power, when they have an inconvenient, unpopular truth to tell, who benefits, who covers it up, who's demonized, and who comes out on top. Women often lose professionally, relationally, financially, and in many cases, spiritually and communally when they are brave enough to speak up. And although we'd love to think that, you know, women might be lying or they're advantageous in some way, shape or form, uh, research shows that's not the case. Less than 1% of women lie about any sort of misconduct that's happened to them. Why? Because they would not put themselves in the eye of the storm uh, to be taken hits at. You can see that with Dr. Kristen Blasey Ford. You can see that with uh, Monica Lewinsky. You can see that with some of the women in megachurches in the last few years. So it's really a deep dive into both sacred and secular culture of how we treat women when they have something uh, that could potentially put men in power in a bad light. Yeah, Monica Lewinsky is a good example. I mean, I saw her tweet something the other day just about how, like, he said she said she was at Starbucks and the person read uh, like on her driver's license or something like with her card. They say her credit card. They say that Monica Lewinsky, or, or or he read it out. I think he read it out with her cup, and and he said her last name or something like that. But it's just like when you hear that name, she just gets responded to with just the craziest stuff all the time. Yeah. Still. <laughs> And, and then Bill still, Clinton is still like great. Everybody thinks he's some great guy. Yeah, still, he's still getting paid well yeah. over a million dollars per speaking engagement. Yeah. And she's the the punchline of every rap song, at least over a hundred. Whoa. Yeah. That's crazy. Who uh so when you were writing this book, uh well let, let's just keep talking here. So some of this is personal experience, some of this is what you've learned over the years. Absolutely. Personal experience of watching women be sexualized, objectified, demonized, and their loyalty exploited when they did not do exactly what the men in power asked them to do. And um, often it was 
invitations beyond uh, personal development or professional development. And they walked this line of, if I don't do this, I won't get ahead or I won't be able to feed my kids or I won't advance professionally or how will I be seen if this person smears me? So, you know, so many of us as women, we don't go looking for these situations to be groomed and taken advantage of. And when, you know, crap hits the fan, we're wondering, well, why are we so quick to believe men's stories? And so again, pray tell really, really um, kind of dives deep into how even the smartest, most devout person is willing to believe a narcissistic leader over a woman who would have no reason to lie about misconduct. Why do you uh, think it is that we believe men so easily? Ooh, a few reasons. First is we often have an allegiance to somebody. If they've had any sort of impact or influence on us, especially in a faith space, then it is really hard to separate any sort of positive enhancement in our own life with their personal doings behind closed doors. It's so, so hard, especially if it's a positive first impression. Those first impressions, 80% of us cannot alter our belief about somebody after a positive first impression. Narcissistic men probably know this. They're they're not these like mm-hmm. monster men. They're rather charming and they know how to influence somebody for the better. And so with that, we can also uh, struggle to believe that somebody who had something bad happen to them didn't deserve it. It's called the just world hypothesis, meaning the world is just as it is. If something bad happened to you, you deserve it because if that's not true, something bad could happen to me. Right. And then I would have to question how I put faith and trust in people who don't deserve it. And we don't want to do that. We'd rather blame it all on one woman than really debunk the whole system and address Mm -hmm. its fault and flaws. And so it's the men, it's nothing inherent about men. It's more that they're simply in power more of the time in these systems and the narcissistic men, um, more, most, more commonly than that word narcissism is, it seems like it's becoming more and more prevalent in, especially within, uh, the, the pastoral role, like you're seeing more, like it does seem like it's set up in a way you can be on stage, you can influence people and craft your a life for them and all the, and do all this stuff. And then you're not as held accountable because you're at a distance in a sense, it seems. Absolutely. Now, interestingly, men empower, I'm not saying every man's this narcissist. We're talking about 10% of the population who would abuse this kind of power. Is that, was that stat right? 10% of people are narcissists? 90% 90 of men are good men. This isn't like a, some feminist manifesto. Every man's bad. Every man is looking to take advantage of you and crawl all over you in his ascent to power. That's not the case. We're talking about 10% of men who will take advantage, but there's a clear path to how this happens. And it's this, the virtues that got men into leadership positions in the first place will often be shed determining more power that he has. So as he has that ascent to power, you're less likely to see those virtues that of kindness and patience and uh, service and all of these things that, you know, get men great opportunities in the first place. And as they have that ascent to power, they see themselves as more physically and sexually attractive and they can have what they want when they want it. And they're not thinking through the consequences. So you can see this rise of men. You're like, no, he's such a good guy. I knew him when, 
And in reality, as he's had more power, he's thinking, I can get away with whatever I want. Uh, Research out of Columbia and USC have confirmed this time and time again, specifically of men. You see this in politics. Obviously, you see this in uh, pastoral spaces. You see this in uh, you know, entertainment when you think of Weinstein. So it's, it's a pretty true, <laughs> um, stat across the board. And it's, it's fascinating how easily it can take root without accountability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It seems like too, even like in, uh, so say, uh, I mean, so many, it seems like an epidemic of pastors, you know, cheating or, you know, uh, right. cheating on their spouse or whatever, but it seems too that part of that is because, your uh, a pastor's wife or something know, knew him when and can still bring him back there. And so that doesn't play into the narrative now of powerful, strong leader. That's not when, when it's just, you know, whoever, Kevin, that, you know, I knew you when we were in high school or something like that. You, you know, you, you made mistakes. You're, you know, your, your close friends and your family still know you as the person. And so then you start even maybe pushing away from them and then hiding yeah. and yeah. doing, yeah. doing things that you shouldn't. Yeah, isolation and more and more self-driven, and your your narrative emerges more, and you you know more time spent on in your own head about your own narrative and what you deserve and what will, you'll get and all that seems to be part of it. Yeah, and, distorted um, reality. Yeah, a distorted reality. Um, is there something with the um, when you say the virtues that are there? You're right. At the top of anything, you're probably. Or today, at least, society could be different at some point in the future. But the people who are the virtues that on the way up are kind of different than the ones in the end that will get the job done. And those those other some of the virtues that we like in men, we don't like in women. So even if women had the virtues, they don't get the opportunity to use the virtues in the way that you ultimately need to in the cutthroat. Because, I mean, I know a lot of women can be cutthroat and probably could do more, but those values are not nurtured or valued on the way up anyway that are passed through by men. So that probably contributes to it as well. Absolutely. Those qualities in women aren't celebrated, but in men, we pass off narcissistic tendencies as leadership qualities, as leadership potential. Whereas in women, we're seen as bossy or aggressive. And so for women, if we want to stay in the room and appease the power brokers who let us in, we'll often say silent, subservient, and appease those men because we do want a place at the table. We do want to be seen as capable and resilient and visionaries. And Research shows that more women on boards, more women in senior leadership leads to less risky behavior, behavior, better laws passed, safer cities designed. I mean, it, it, the GDP goes up for, for that particular entity. Countries, in fact, would have a higher GDP with more women in power, research shows. So it's pretty crazy that we're willing to put a cap on women. Now we want to, you can take that to a 201 level when you add in a faith context where in many faith cultures, women are seen as not capable of leading or not capable of preaching or not capable Mm -hmm. of teaching. And they are, as Tertullian said, the early church father, the presence of evil in the world, the devil's gateway, and their body is both a distraction and a liability. So then you've made it where women are now the enemy. They're the reason for a man's downfall. So how Mm -hmm. much more so does he need to stay in power above her and be able to take all the advantage and be at the top of that power grid. Uh, so she won't have a way forward. Mm-hmm. How, uh, uh, I mean, I don't know how, how, if you, how deeply you go into this, but when, when we're talking about silencing women, what are the practices of that? Like, is it, cause it's not just the pastor goes, 
only, right? It seems like the whole church goes, we just don't even want to mess with this in a way. That's right. The first punch to the front of the face is the, hey, be silent, keep this a secret. That second punch is when that woman gets brave enough to speak up and the community at large, all those enablers do that perpetrator's bidding. That That's really, honestly, for many, the most painful experience is they finally got the bravery to speak up about abuse of power, whether it was financial reputation, body, um, you know, sexual assault, whatever the case may be. And it's all those enablers. So uh, some of the ways that really plays out is first, uh, we briefly touched on it, but NDAs, um, non-disclosure agreements, any sort of secret settlement, which you see in churches everywhere, everywhere when women have a truth to tell that could put the church in the bad light. And why do we do that? Because that could hurt the witness of the church. We say Mm -hmm. to her, you don't want to hurt this man's ministry. You don't want to hurt the witness. You don't want people to leave the church or hurt the flock. Therefore, we're going to pay you off. You can't talk to your husband. You can't talk to a mentor. You can't talk to a therapist. You can't talk to your mom, your best friend, nobody. You need to suffer in silence. And that's usually, uh, you know, what causes people to wind up signing them is financial or uh, like it. sometimes it would be for us. There's a settlement involved uh, and stuff. And sometimes it's just, um, I, I, don't, I don't know what all the other, yeah, I, I know that scary. a lot. Yeah, a lot of times it's when you sign up just to even work somewhere, you sign these NDAs that that preemptively don't allow you to do. I think at Mars Hill, it was a bunch of those. It's like by signing here, you have these non-competes and these other NDAs and this other stuff that already can lock you up in advance sometimes. Reputation over everything. Everyone wants to be seen as capable, that they've got it together, and nobody wants that visible chink in the armor. And secret settlements, these NDAs, are a way to tighten and lock that up, and they're effective. And the reason why they're particularly dangerous to women is because a woman who's been in this position, you know, I might join a space and a woman before me who had that same role signs an NDA, so nobody ever needs to Mm -hmm. know that she was in a toxic environment. And yet another bright, shiny, capable woman signs up for that role, not knowing that the two, three, maybe even four women before her all left with battle wounds that were not easily healed. And you walk into the space that looks egalitarian or pro-women on paper, but in practice, you're like in a fishbowl of piranhas and you have no idea. And so obviously NDAs are, are problematic for so many reasons, but specifically for women, this is the, one of the biggest reasons why it's been problematic is not only are they not able to seek therapy or help in the future, you are now preventing any future women from protection over this toxic culture and space. How do you, uh, sp- how do you reach into the ear of, of one of what you would call the enablers? Because the whole thing works really well as a description of a codependent system, you know, right. where you, ha- you, whether it's a, the same dynamics happen at the church level as in a family or relationships a lot of times. So real similar. Mm-hmm. Um, and people are pretty familiar with that enabler stuff, but it's very hard for the enabler to see that. Do you, do you talk to them directly or try to break through that? Yes, because in reality, if we're not speaking up and encouraging, empower, lamenting and walking alongside women, we are the enablers. And the book is really written to that, that subset of people of understanding if we work in a space that pushes women down in any way, shape, or form, we are enabling a culture that doesn't amplify and promote equality and equity for women. So I think first, the major thing that enablers need to do is consider their proximity to power. 
They might not be writing the payoff checks on behalf of the perpetrator, but if they're staying silent when someone tells a foul joke that puts women at the end of it, if they're if they are overlooking just those slights, if they see some impropriety between a man and woman and they walk away like nothing happened and leave that woman to handle that on their own, man or woman as enabler, then that's a problem. That is enabling. Enabling isn't this big, like, I'm not going to let this get out. I'm going to make up stories about this woman so her character's trash and nobody will love her believer. That That's like the pretty far side of the spectrum of enabling. Enabling goes all the way up to just even just turning the other cheek in the church lobby while you see Uncle Bobby fondle Lisa, she walks into the, you know, sanctuary. Like it can take on so many forms. Simply not being willing to admit that someone who we believe is good is capable of bad things mm-hmm. is enabling. It's yeah. enabling. That's a real tale is when there's no threshold at which you could articulate that you would have a problem. Like you've already deemed That's somebody right. to be good and you're That's unwilling right. to say, well, I think this pastor's good or I think this church is good, but if it got to X, then I would not, like the, the unwillingness to recognize that there would be a threshold for which you might would change your point of view and to yeah. acknowledge that, that if you can't do that, then there's a good chance that you're doing a self blinding of something. That's right. Researchers call that the halo effect where you refuse to believe that someone who is good or an entity is capable of bad. But the flip side also works. If this woman has been presented in a poor light or if people are going to rip up her past or her, you know, her past employment or her past relationships or anything they can to shred her character down to nubs, then that same is true. They will never believe that she's capable of being good or right. And we're willing to hold up one man's testimony over several women's accusations we hold up his accolades over anything that she could say and it's because uh, also there is that power dynamic and a history of success so That's everybody right. that, especially like in the church <laughs> system or even uh, in the on the job site i mean you're mm-hmm. like wait a minute if this guy gets in trouble do i lose my job or my benefit right. i like it it's like you know it's a dream job you know yeah. I, I, this is what i always wanted yeah. this one this you know and you can try to uh, you know, w- when it is your livelihood or uh, it's somebody that you trust, you really do have to work it out and pull all that stuff out and go, no, this is wrong. That's, I mean, that's why they say, uh, um, isn't it like most sexual abuse often is a family member or somebody that you know or something like that because there's a trust level there and it's hard to, they, it, there's a level of, I can get away with this because no one's going to talk about it. That's right. I'm the patriarch yeah. of this family yeah. or something. You know, yeah. Well, church way. and family had to have a lot more than the workplace, right? Right, like yeah, I mean, yeah. that, because but they're the, the part of the reason is being right. That's you pastor. are careful everywhere else. Yeah. Right, right. Aren't you right. careful with so many things? But the uncle of this or that or whatever, you're not. That's where you only place you aren't careful right. is. Right. Well, we can leave them at the church. I think we can leave them at the church. That's oh, if there any. I'm not going to let them go out there in the world, but and they're safe at the church. I know mm-hmm. they're safe at the church. Well, mm. guess how that works. I mean, yeah. and then you Tina spend all your hours there and you don't even really worry yourself. You can't go there, you know? Yeah. You don't want to, you don't want to believe it's possible. Tina yeah. Chen, who's the CEO of the times up movement, legal defense fund that was created in the wake of the me too movement said, men are forgiven and women are unemployable. Because like we said about those enablers is a woman could speak up against somebody at church or at work 
but it's how the community will treat her afterward is the re another reason that she's willing to self silence. So before mm -hmm. anyone's going to flip her over a piece of paper and ask her to sign on the dotted line, she's happy to self silence because it gives her a semblance of power and control thinking I can control the narrative. If nobody knows it, I can somehow control my little world. If I don't have to share this with anybody. And in reality, she doesn't want to live with her, you know, cubicle mate treating her differently or seeing her differently or not as capable or only getting promotions because X, Y, and Z happened to her. Do you think it's a stickiness or a trickiness to what the responsibility of a woman is to speak out with an experience or mm. to not? I don't think it's a responsibility. I really don't. I think we put a lot of pressure and a lot of weight on a victim's shoulders and, you know, you look at the Good Samaritan, it wasn't this lame man on the side of the road who was responsible for his own vindication. It was others who came alongside or one man who came alongside and ushered and walked along inside of his healing. So I think it's the responsibility of all of us, mm -hmm. not just this woman in particular. And I think but we do what, find it brave when a woman is willing to, because, you know, she can, you know, that to me, that seems like there would be that seems hard to know how there's been plenty of people, men and women that suffered a lot of trauma and abuse. And it has to be hard for them to think if I do come forward, I don't think that's good for me, but maybe it'll help somebody else or maybe it's my duty, you know, so that I don't know how to resolve. I'm not saying they should or shouldn't. I just, yeah. is there a best wisdom of how you think about that or people wrestle with that if they're wrestling with that internally? Cause it's so, it's so, so common. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, some therapists have weighed in on this and they said, depending on their level of healing, depending mm -hmm. on their level of healing of how much they want to walk that out, how much they want to lead the charge at the front of the march, if they really want to be the person to carry that, but to expect them, mm -hmm. I can think that's where I'm getting at, to expect them to carry all that weight is wild when they can, you know, lean that weight on us and we can walk alongside them. Yeah, I was talking about that with somebody this weekend about just testifying in court, like, no. <laughs> Like that, it's you shouldn't or something. Like in, in in tons of cases where it's like, well, there's it's just so many reasons not to. And you realize when you're somebody you know who's supposed to testify for some reason in a domestic abuse or something like that, you go, but if, it's just you're gonna have to. This is gonna be really terrible. I mean, you do you so really terrible. need to do that? You know, it's going to be really terrible, and they don't care. The prosecutor's not gonna thank you. To, it's just part of the, you know. So that's like. So it must be so much more common. I mean, it just gives more credence to how much must not be reported and testified to, oh, and how much has gotten away with in the yeah. world. It's like that kind of gives you an insight into what has gotten away with. One of the stories I feature in Pray Tell is Anna Chambers, who was a gal in the New York City area who was corralled into the back of a police SUV by two plainclothes police officers for some marijuana charges that she and her her friend had on on their person. And they repeatedly assault her in the back of this car and they drop her off a block away from a precinct. So she, she goes in there, she calls her mom. They, they do the rape kit. The DNA matches these two officers, but because when she was on the stand, she could not say coherently because her, her uh, messaging, you know, her neural messaging was firing improperly because it was such a traumatic experience, which is actually proof of trauma. But because she couldn't say, you know, oh, I was wearing stretch pants, not a skirt, or I swear I saw the Empire State Building in the back when I was on my back, because she couldn't match all that up, these men did not go to jail. 
They lost their jobs, but they didn't go to jail despite the DNA evidence of their crime. Wow. Man. Something so violent. You're right. That, that, it seems as if it is such a huge mountain to climb because even once you tell your story, there's no guarantee of any, any justice. And what is justice then anyway? You know what I mean? Like if, if they, do they get a slap on the wrist? Do you feel better about exposing your, your private life to the world? Right. And then, Cause there will always be people that are negative. There's, you know, supporters of the, your abuser or attacker and they'll, you know, say horrible things about you and people will say, Oh, just in it for the money. If it's somebody powerful or something Ugh, like that, yeah, it's, it's really yeah, tough. Yeah. How does, uh, you, you talked a little bit earlier about grooming though, maybe even specifically in the church. How does it, how does it start? What is the, cause it seems like it's rampant to me, uh, that there's so many pastors that end up sleeping with somebody oftentimes in the church, uh, you know, but, and so what, what is that grooming process? Is it that, like, why doesn't the pastor always just go out and maybe get a prostitute or something? Because it, it, it's not, it obviously isn't just sex. There's some power dynamic there, There's right? That, power. That, yeah. Abusive power is like a drug. It's something sought after and it feels good for a narcissist to have that supply. So using, uh, and just maybe I should have given a little bit more definition to narcissism is again, a distorted reality. It's a my way or the highway. And most specifically, and the most notable is that the women specifically for our conversation here are seen as supply, like almost like a drug supply. They're seen as supply. And when they're no longer useful, they're discarded. Mm -hmm. But if they come of use again, they'll often practice what's called euphoric recall. Well, they'll only remember this man in a positive light. So they're taken advantage of again. So that grooming process looks like um, opportunity. It looks like promotions. It looks like compliments. It looks like elevation. It looks like connections that this woman might've not had before. And what happens is this narcissist, he will mine her situation, her social circle, her story to find what she values. And that's the dangling carrot. That's where that grooming begins is I need to find what you value. So then I can slowly dangle that carrot and kind of draw you in. Now for men in egalitarian spaces, Often when they will elevate women and they have women closer into their inner circle and think I can take advantage of you and you wouldn't have this without me. Therefore, I own you. Therefore, I can take right. advantage mm -hmm. of you. This is that tit for tat. And so women in an effort to, uh, you know, grow their professional career or be mentored by men, which is not a bad thing. They can then find themselves in a bit of a lion's den uh, taken advantage of by somebody who's been grooming them by giving them gifts of, you know, Intangible, but tangible, of course. And before you know it, they feel some sort of responsibility and they owe this person something. And they feel like, man, I'm in deep now. If he were to tell anything, it's his word against mine. And we all know all right. who we believe in this world and it's men. And, th and they probably even have trusted them with some private information that maybe they could even hold against them. Nine say, times well, out of 10. Wow. That is oh, wild. Do, yeah. you, do you see that? Like, uh, uh, Take, for example, like Ravi Zacharias's uh, story, like he would, it felt like that, that's very similar to that story he offered, you know, that he yes. would do, you know, oh, yeah. put, he was in power and maybe, you know, compliments and, you know, that, uh, do you see some of that same thing? Like in, in oh, like with, with the it's a really classic uh, grooming technique. It's, it's in fact, so indicative of abusive power and where it's headed. 
I mean, look at Bill Hybels, same thing. Women were elevated to teach and preach and lead trips and lead international missions as long as they stayed close. These women were married. These women had kids. They had lives. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. If you were the supply and if you were targeted, uh, you, you would be you would be next in line to be taken advantage of. And if you didn't take the bait, you could very well lose everything. I love that uh, usage of the, the concept of supply there because they churn through and they do patterns and stuff like that. It's, um, mm-hmm. And it's not just sexual. Like it's just of, they treat all people. They don't just treat women that way sexually. The, the narcissist who's functional and driven, you know, he'll continue to cycle through same patterns of people, but, for him, they are just useful. So That's if you've right. been taken advantage of, you will recognize that, oh, I was, you may not see how you were useful to the person, except for when you were no longer useful, then you could see how you might have just, how That's you were right. being useful at the, previously is the way it feels, I imagine, or yeah, have experienced right. in my own ways, I should say. I, it's across the board. Just like you said, men, yeah. women, children, anyone yep. can be supplied. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think especially for women, you know, we can, men can, you know, hang the moon and the stars for us. And we feel so special and so seen and so valued. And I think especially in the workplace or in, especially in Christian spaces and nonprofit spaces, it's so exciting when women get elevated. We're like, man, this is the moment I've been waiting for. We, it's who wouldn't want to feel special and seen and known and beloved. You, and and we just as you said, you hit the nail on the head. We don't see the inner workings of why we're seen as special or unique or mm-hmm. valuable, mm-hmm. but we do get to taste that proximity to power, and that that tastes real, real good. Is there a way to like? I mean, in the past, and uh, you know, like the Billy Graham rule or something. Is it is it like is it so rampant and scary and and uh, prevalent and dangerous that I mean, what steps can you take to avoid that? Like, I mean, if if so uh, somebody that just got a job as an admin at a church, you know, maybe a mega church somewhere. Uh, I mean, should they be like on the lookout? Like, you know, uh, what's happening here? Like, how, how do you even recognize the danger? Absolutely. That's where churches, uh, you know, workplaces are way, you know, public workplaces are way farther ahead than churches are. Churches are many years back. There has to be protocol in place before crap hits the fan. Because what happens is there isn't protocol and HR can sometimes be a joke or it's the quickest way for your complaint or your grievance to get to the senior pastor. And then you're fearful of reporting that. So you stay close and then you're told to Matthew 18 it. And if you didn't, then you're a gossip and you should have gone to the man who took advantage of you and worked it out. And in reality, that's, you know, confronting your abuser, which is completely inappropriate. So I think we, there has to be protocols in place, uh, clear reporting systems in place, and also a system that can uh, uh, quickly, without going to the senior leader, but go to the board, grievances, especially if it's women against men specifically, because although, you know, there's grievances of um, men against women, absolutely, I don't want to discount that. But the honest truth is the large majority of these grievances are women against men. And with reporting systems in place, there also has to be common vernacular, which is one of the biggest takeaways that I have gotten received when I've, you know, gotten emails from people after they've read it is you gave me vernacular to describe my past experiences and how to look for abusive power in the future. And I didn't realize I was being groomed or I didn't realize I was being taken advantage of. So having vernacular, interestingly, before the late sixties, RBG played a big role in this 
um, the late Supreme Court justice, but there was no language around um, sexual misconduct in the workplace or sexual assault. That, that, those are common terms for us today, but those were relatively new, uh, you know, 50 years ago. And so you see women in that era, there was only about a 14% reporting um, when they would say, hey, I feel uncomfortable when this man talks to me this way, or I can tell he doesn't see me in a positive light and I'm his scapegoat for everything. And he talks down to me or he, he, you know, he had a lingering hand on my shoulder. And then you move forward into um, the seventies to the nineties and reporting started to shoot up around 35, 40%. And now you look at uh, millennials, it's about a 75 to 90% reporting rate. Why? Because we have common vernacular. So having that language Um, which is education for us all. And if that's what the Me Too movement gave us, I hope it does, is understanding that we all need to be using common language and the definition of that. So we're not gaslit or manipulated into believing that we're just making it up or we're just emotional or we're insecure women, when in reality, we're being taken advantage of. That's fascinating that the millennials is so high. It makes me think if you look at the longer, more zoomed out, then even when movements go extreme or it feels like these cultural shifts that we're under are often crude in nature and so of course some people say it goes too far and that kind of thing but you if you zoom out you can see that the that there are some crude mechanisms of of social reorganization but social reorganization toward good things is occurring messily like, yeah. you know what I mean? It's oh, messy that's and that's there's beautiful. nobody to excuse when beautiful. things go the wrong way. Um, but it's clear that if 70% of millennials are more likely to report misconduct, that that's a good step, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I think of just future generations, there's still ideology at play, right? Of you know, what my grandma taught me and what my mom taught me of what's okay and how a man can treat me, how a boy can treat me. And, yeah. and, and women are taught to be nice at the expense of being kind and firm and kind and commanding. So there's uh, there's a lot of change that still needs to happen. And it, you're right, messy. You said it's well, generational weird, in a weird way, because even if let's say, I mean, let's just say I had a different leaning or instinct than the generation before me, I still don't have any positive examples of what it would look like for me. As exactly. I still didn't get to see it be normal from all my formative years. So even if I want to behave in a new light, I don't really have that much model for it. So it's kind of hard. I mean, it's, it's still a challenge to know what would it look like. Like I said, all the companies that don't have women on the board and stuff like that, they don't. They also don't have the skills to even know how to do that in some sense, right. or they've never seen it modeled well. So it is yeah. harder to visualize and then achieve. So it takes some whole sets of cycles sometimes for things to to make sense. It really does. You know, you look at the last hundred years, 101 years from the first women's movement to just to have a right to vote. And then you go to the seventies of the second, and here we are in the third and it all, and we haven't even had a chance to talk about just the intersectional nature of this. If a woman is a woman of color or low socioeconomic status, or if English isn't her first language, that all compounds this uh, belief that she is lying and that a man is telling the truth and has more power and can take advantage of her because of those um, because of those power dynamics. So it really is a it's, it's a slow move, but we're getting there. Yes, yeah. it feels like we're in a shift, but it's just going to take a while. And That's I know right. you know, and I guess everything does. But I was even thinking while you were talking about how I mean, I was just trained complementarianism and women don't preach. And so just that thought, which I, I didn't even, every time I ever heard a female preach, I was just blown away. I was like, oh, this is great. 
but I, is this right? I, I, I've actually asked <laughs> yeah. my, you know what I mean? Like, well, you know, well, they're an evangelist, not an actual <laughs> yeah. pastor. Or, or She's so, you know, like they're, they're, yeah. She's going overseas in a few years. Right, right, <laughs> exactly. And I was thinking about just that dynamic is, then that sets up two, two people, then the male has to, in a way, endorse the female so that she can get any uh, movement or success on it. Power so then broker. they That's do... Right. Then she does owe him something, yep. and he feels like, "Oh, you do owe me something." And both of them, even if they're good people, that yep. dynamic is there, and it shouldn't yeah. be. That doesn't and make any. They're, they're, they shouldn't be there. And there's still that lingering. Well, we really know who's in charge here, right? right. Like, we really know who has the power, right? And you should be grateful to be here. And there's that in. I mean, this is going to sound so like <laughs> woo woo millennial, but there's that internalized patriarchy of like, nope, this is how the way things are. It is right. white men, white women. Men of color, women of color, and we should just stay in our spot because we don't want to lose our power. And it's been interesting how even white women haven't advocated for women of color on this topic, especially women of color in churches, when we're like, hey, we're also being left behind. We don't, we, we don't want just what, you know, white women don't, we can't just settle for what white men have. We all want equality. We all want equity. We're all God's children. We all are image bearers and we all can contribute to renewal. Yeah. I'm wondering, I mean, we're at this, this stage now where maybe I, it is just going to take a while, but that it's a, I don't know the the steps because first of all, people with power don't want to give it up. Come on. You know what I mean? Understandably. I even understand that <laughs> you know, yeah. if you, if you got some stuff, you don't want to give it up, but then how do you do that? And then what is like, like some, like you said, somebody low on the totem pole, low, low, uh, what can they do? I mean, what, what are some, what, like, what's the first step for somebody that's like, oh, I want to, I want more. Or what do you even see like that within the church? Now you now we're talking about just shared power. In that sense, I would first speak to those who have power and beckon you to share it and to see how can you invest in somebody and share it because it only multiplies. It's not subtraction. This is multiplication. And really looking for people that you can elevate and promote and mentor and disciple. And then if you are on that lower totem pole, looking for people who have ears to hear and say, I see you, I see your gifts, I see your skills, I see your leadership. I want to learn that too. And again, there has to be chemistry there and there has to be ears to hear. But um, I think it takes men one by one being willing to see the power, opportunity, promotion, and leverage that they have and being willing to leverage that for women. And interestingly, um, in the workplace, when men have acted more egalitarian and, you know, in a boardroom said, oh, hey, Rosie, what do you think about this? Or, hey, Dana, what do you think? They're seen as weak, not only by their male counterparts, the women counterparts, everyone sees them as weak in a business space. So I think it's, we, back to your point, uh, that Toby, that we have a lot of shifting to do to even believe that men who empower women aren't weak. We got to start yeah. there. Yeah. And then of course, as the women who want to see gain and growth, finding people who are willing to invest in them, who are willing to mentor them, who are willing to promote them because mentoring, promoting are different. Someone who's going to make that business call or connection for you or call the church down the street for you to have opportunity versus simply just mentoring or discipling. Um, both have to take place. And at the same time, we have to see how it's not a subtraction. We aren't losing power. We really are going to gain it. Well, I yeah, think not- that language might have to be opportunity for people to get it. Because it's like there's this other uh, 
temptation out there to tokenize or whatever. Like, cause, you know, it yeah. looks good to include women and say inclusive and put it on your thing and do the performative. The, the yeah. performative right. stuff is narcissism, people doing it. And they're not going to ever give you the opportunity anyway. They're Come just going to hold you up on stage and act like they are. And so if they don't see it as op- genuine opportunity in the minds of these other people, you know, they, and, that they're stupid for not seeing it often or looking for it or whatever, but we're going to have to get where they are going to see that they're missing out otherwise or that yeah. they have too narrow of a scope to see the bigger picture in our fast-changing world. All the people that are just like you in your echo chamber of any type, gender, anything, um, that's not going to get the job done against your nope. competitors. So you just got to yeah. rechannel that, you know, whatever it is that those successful people want, and they're going to have to see it as opportunity at least. That is, is because at least a narcissist would, at least that you know, there's some. If if the culture isn't coercive and enough, if you can negotiate hard enough with a, a narcissist on pure terms without it being polluted i mean they can be interacted with i guess like they 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 negotiate with outside people and entities but not not when there's a power dynamic that's like obscured or on the team of and those kinds of things is where it's, it gets really when you're all bought in and all that kind of thing where the relationships are person you know leveraged mm-hmm. personal relationships i guess mm-hmm. is what i'm saying but they're business opportunities and women get great at negotiating and they assert their value and men see the value and they're going to miss out otherwise that's the, what we got to create eventually yeah has to be seen as an asset mm-hmm. not a liability yeah. right <laughs> yeah, right right i think too changing what we uh what we say is valuable or success like within the church world I've hated forever, and I don't understand when it's just, oh, well, this church is growing. So growth, growth, growth means success, and that means oh, God, gosh. and that means calling. That, that That's not the case. Oh, welcoming, God. you know, welcoming, inclusion, uh, 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 truth uh, are, are the real value. I mean, that's, that, that's the, the point of it, and, and the idea that, uh, because that's when it, I, I do think it gets dangerous, especially in, in the church system, is when the pastor, all of a sudden, he grew that out of his living room, and now there's, you know, 5,000 people every Sunday, you go, well, how do you challenge that as opposed to he really is inclusive or wait a minute, he's challenging some of the old ways for good. I mean, that, that we don't, we don't see value in that and, I, and we see value in success in a way, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Charisma, charisma sells. Charisma oh. gets butts in the seats. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> it, I'm, charisma I'm in, over uh, character, unfortunately. Yes, you're right. <laughs> I think even going back to what y'all say, I've been fascinated lately by the term white comfort, uh, just because that that feels more what I'm seeing and what I'm experiencing is just the idea of, oh, like you, you said, you can tokenize people, you can tokenize minorities, you can include, but at a distance or just enough because it's a cool story and that gets you more butts in the seats or something. Come as on, opposed, come on. You know what I mean? That that idea, is, oh, I feel comfortable because we did, that's, that's what I thought most of my life about missions oftentimes was just white coat. Let's go to that country, show them what, you know, uh, we'll, we'll let us be there for you for a week, even though we don't really do that much. And then I, you're off my conscience. I can wipe my hands clean. You know, you know, I went and helped them for one week or something in Haiti or something like that. And it's just, and then, so you feel like, Oh, I'm safe. I'm good. I'm all right. I, I did, I did my service here and, and I'm not, I don't want to generalize that. I know people do missions and do good work and, and try to help people, but there is something there with that. Like uh, we, are inclusive you know the our, our drummer is black or you know we, 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 uh, you know 
Tiffany wrote a book and we let her come speak one time. Wow. Didn't you know, need we, an immigrant. Check. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you check a bunch of boxes. We can, we can check off a bunch with Tiffany. You know? <laughs> so it, it is like that. Like it feels, it feels like that. It's, I just want to be comfortable and not have to worry about it anymore. You know, I used to feel that way about homeless people. If I just give them the money, they'll go away, but I'm not doing anything. I'm not being Christ-like at all. I'm just literally using this money as a tool to move you away from me yeah. as opposed to, wait a minute, what? Mm. It, then there at, isn't there supposed to be real change here, you know, yeah. in my heart? So. Yeah. People's lives are on the line, right? Your own, right. others. Like this yeah. is, we, we can't take it so lightly. And that, uh, <laughs> in the first chapter, which, uh, which I wrote last, a little behind the scenes, I talk about this role of women, but specifically women minorities and their ability to contort themselves to be pleased, uh, to be pleased by white men and, and we'll, we'll do and say and talk and value and read the same books and read the leadership books and go to the church conferences. So we can be seen as valuable in your eyes, even if we don't really are drawn to those books or leaders or way of leadership or showmanship, but because we want to have a seat at the table, we're willing to play by your rules and shrink ourselves. Yeah. And, and that just diminishes one of the best attributes of is that the world needs feminine. We need women. We need that ex- that expression of, of gender and sexuality even in the workplace. Not, no, I'm not yeah. t- talking about having sex. I'm talking about just course, we need yes. that. We need, you know, yes. th- that, that's just so important and it's not there. That's what I'm saying. Mo- most of the time I've ever heard about God was from a man. That can't be right. Mm. It just can't be right. I mean, what that that story is 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 one sided. You know what I mean? Everything about it. And so I've been even like, uh, I don't know if you're a Beth Moore fan, but my wife always has followed her and, and then her just even taking a few steps just to, you know, tweet out or, or say yeah. some pushback has been, I, I thought, decently powerful because that just has never happened before. Just to even take those steps to say, nah, this is what it's kind of like. You know what I mean? Right. Just to even do that is a lot. And it, it probably has cost her some for sure. But Oh, for sure. For sure. And she's done it so boldly and she's handled it with such a vulnerability. It really is. And, and to see a woman like Beth Moore, who's at the height of her career, uh, one of the most known names in Christendom. Yeah. And she's saying, hey, this is broken and I've been treated poorly by men. Like if we can't listen to her, yeah. y'all, who are we going to listen to? Right. Come on, man. Come <laughs> no, on. Right. <laughs> well, Tiffany, we are excited about the book. It's out now. Where can folks find it? Where they can find you on your podcast too? Why though? Right? Where, where yeah, else can yeah, they find yeah. you? You can find the book at all your indie or mainstream or Bezos retailers, as well <laughs> as you can see the book club discussion guide, watch the trailer, read or listen to the first chapter for free at tiffanybloom.com. And I do have a podcast called Why Though? Answering the existential questions we ask ourselves, everything about race to our favorite frozen pizza. Awesome. Well, we just appreciate it. I'll tell you what, you are, you have a great energy and a brain on you that sounds scary and dangerous, honestly. You, 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 <laughs> might, you, might, you might stir it up a little Jesus bit. I'm, I'm telling you, you, you got something in, in that head of yours. It's great. I, I've re- I have really enjoyed this. I, I really have. I just, I, I mean, you are. Uh, in the, in the South, we say smart as a whip and I, it's just, it just, it's great hearing you talk and I'm, I'm excited. I'm going to steal this book from my wife and I'm going to, I'm going to read it yeah. as soon as I can. So 10 years ago, I'd have been terrified of you today. Loved it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh, yeah. Keep it. going, Thank keep you pushing. Gentlemen. You're doing, you're doing great. We'd love to have you back on in the future again as well. Such an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks, Tiffany. All right. This will come out in about two weeks. You got it. I'll be sure to share it on everything. You two are the most fun. 
Oh, fun. <laughs> I is, appreciate it. I think I've done about a hundred interviews for Pray Tell and you guys definitely top three. I'm not going to lie. You made it to the top three. Oh, well, I'm not going to tell wonderful. you if it's gold, silver, or bronze. <laughs> I'll take it. But you on the we'll platform. Take it. This was fabulous. You That's are fabulous. One. I have been a fan of you both, by the way, for quite some time. So I was tickled pink when my publicist said that this was a go. So thank you so much. Wow. That awesome. means a well, lot. Thank you so much. That really does. That really does. Good luck. I, I, I'm serious. I mean, I... You have a great energy. I mean, I, I, I just keep pushing. You're doing great. I mean, this oh, is just, I mean, it's, it's just so, I thoroughly enjoyed this. So we oh. need more voices like yours all the time. So we really oh, appreciate truly it. Truly humbled. Thank you. Bless you. Have a great day, guys. You too. All right, Look. Tiffany Bloom. She is great. Man, I was just sitting there like, man, it's just when when you get around smart people and they can Laser just, beam. I mean, it's just, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, she could take over the world if she wanted to. I'm mean, thank God she's a good person. I mean, you know, we, we were talking about Mark Driscoll being focused. I mean, she has just the brain and the focus and the energy, focus, and the, yeah, and yeah. the and realization the real, of what she's, she's got saying. A real fat, fast recall and awareness of what's going on. It's like you could cover a lot quickly in a way that some oh, you know, know. podcasts can tend to whatever, but that. She was that was just, that channel was wide open. I mean, right. she's done the work. She has the research. She can recall it and pull yeah. it out. I mean, yeah. I, that was just fascinating. That was great. So uh, everybody, go out there and get her book because it is going to be a banger for sure. Uh, Matt, anything else going on in on in your life here? No, not much. I'm you just, got anything? Uh, we got our uh, specials done, and now uh, when are, we don't know when they're coming out. <laughs> we can't tell anybody they're coming out. The I don't know we, the answer. <laughs> Just know, know that there's going to be details. some very awesome Stay albums tuned. in the we'll digital world coming out for Emory yeah. uh, very yes. soon. One, our new record, Rub Some Dirt on It, and then uh, we recorded it's the question It's been recorded, well. so now so. there's more work to do to get it, you know, out. Yep. 100%. So, all right. Uh, uh, it, it's late in the evening here for me, so I'm going to go eat some carnitas on uh, low-carb tortillas. Nice. One of my favorite things. You don't eat low-carb tortillas. Nope. I'll just eat the carnitas. You're missing out. You are missing out. Maybe a little out, sour cream. A little Maybe sour a little cream. Something spicy. I don't get it. Make uh, it spicy. I'll put on some cilantro, you know. That's then, not spicy. No, but I'll put some jalapenos, cilantro, carnitas, I think I would, sour cream, I, I, onions. Can this be true? I'll eat you some know, onions. You know some people's uh, cilantro, it tastes like soap. Mm-hmm. It did to me, but now it doesn't. So I I can handle some cilantro on like a street taco or something now. Well, I think it's genetic. They would say so. I think maybe probably for you it was the vaccine when you didn't got new DNA. I, that's what I was going to ask you. You know how some people they lose their taste with COVID. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Because so this as soon as I got the vaccine, I went to a Mexican restaurant. I ate all the cilantro you could ever imagine. Yeah, because you're a mutant DNA now, so it's, it changed your DNA to where you like cilantro. <laughs> that, that's what my mom said to me. I never tell you that. My mom, I was talking to her about. It, says Toby, I don't know if I'm going to get it. That stuff changes your DNA. <laughs> I said, Mom, it's RNA. Whatever it is. <laughs> you ain't changing my RNA. I was like, I don't think it works that way. Yeah, no. It doesn't. Anyway, that's the way it goes. <laughs>